don't give up. No matter how hard it gets and how many lows you have, just get back up, ignore everyone else and keep going. Do not give up ever, no matter what, don't give up. This is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com and we're always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast. Uh, it's Dr. N- oh, I should have asked the name before, or Nor, Nor- Ali? Is that right? Yep. Yep. Nor- that's right. All right, as good as I'm going to get. So, um, but uh, Nor, Nor, is that right? Yes. Okay. Yep. I, I keep seeing the two O's and it keeps throwing me off. And so <laughs> I want to say Nor, but then I'm like, well, Nor's. Anyway, so, all right. So, Dr. Dr. Nor, Dr. Ali um, grew up in uh, New York, graduated from high school, and went straight into medical school. So, what I didn't know that was possible, and she'll get into it a little bit more as to how that, or how that occurred. Didn't have to go to undergraduate school. I did six years of medical uh, school and training and then came back to the U.S. and took some examinations. Um, there was a bit of a difference in experience between Bangladesh, where she got there, got some of the medical experience and the U.S. experience and didn't necessarily match up. So after uh, looking around, looking at the examinations, doing a, a few things over a couple of years to pass examinations, decided to go into um, health insurance and kind of uh, marry the medical background with the health insurance background and that leads her leads her to a bit of where she's at today so with that much as an introduction welcome on the podcast thank you thank you so much Devin. i'm excited to be here and have this uh, conversation with you today absolutely so i just gave the quick run through and hopefully it was mostly accurate but i never know yeah. you can correct me where i'm wrong but uh, i gave kind of the quick run through of you know your journey but now take us back to a little bit of growing up in new york and then how you went from high school right to medical school yeah, yeah. I, looking back now, growing up in New York is probably one of the like, you know, the most defining parts of, you know, my personality and the way I am, the way I talk, the way I walk, the way I dress. So love that part of my life. Um, and then once I graduated high school and uh, from Bronx High School of Science, I'm not some crazy genius woman who, you know, got an opportunity to skip undergrad. Anyone can do it, actually, if you choose to go to medical school in, in the eastern part of the world and you meet certain pre-requirements. And I did go to a high school where I did, um, uh, you can apply for the entrance exams and go straight into medical school. So anyone can do it if you, if you decide to go to high, uh, medical school abroad. Oh, cool. So now you said, and so did you, I assume if, if that was your decision, you know, you, you knew going out of high school that you were going to go into, you wanted to be a doctor, you wanted to go into medical school. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Medicine was something I've always, always wanted. I feel like when I was like 10 years old, it was kind of like, this is who I am and what I want to do. Um, My grandfather was a big role model in my life, and he was an anesthesiologist. So I just wanted to grow up and be just like him. So always having that goal in mind uh, helped me to, to just really pave my career trajectory. So, so now you get you, so you graduate from high school, you go into medical school, and you do that, I think, for six years. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a six year accelerated program. So you do it for six years and then now talk to us a little bit. So you, 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 you finished the program, you're graduating. Was the intent always to come back to the U.S. and to be a doctor in the U.S.? Or did you want to stay in the, in the, you know, in the East and do practice there? Kind of what was the, that part of the journey? Or how did you decide what to do after you got through medical school? 
Yeah, well, before I started, the plan was always like, well, how soon can I finish so I can come back to New York and, you know, resume my life, you know, because I grew up in New York. But as I was, you know, going through the journey, I really just fell in love with uh, really back to my roots. My nationality is Bangladesh as well. And I and I gained so much from the culture, from the education. I, it's given me like, you know, so much. Uh, but I did uh, end up, I, I got married like towards the end of my medical career and my husband lived in Brooklyn, uh, well, I guess in Manhattan at the time. So I did come back to the States just to continue my, my conjugal life. Hmm. So now you come back to the States and I, if I remember right, when we talked a little bit before you, when, after you, you, so you train medic or get, go through medical school abroad and then you have to come back and still take your licensing examinations yeah. and do that in order mm -hmm. to be able to practice in the U S is that right? That's right. Yeah. So the education is accredited, you know, once you go through some, you know, accreditation processes, you know, you don't have to go through med school again, but you do have to pass the licensing exams uh, in order to practice medicine. And I have a dual degree in medicine and surgery. Basically, if I were to be a surgeon, I, I need to pass the licensing exams. That's the process. Hmm. So now, so you come back to the U.S., you start to, I assume, start to study, your study for the exam. And then if I yeah. remember, you kind of, you know, either I can't remember, you didn't pass exams, you decided not to take the exams or kind of fill us in yeah. once you get back to the States and trying to look at uh, or utilizing your medical degree, what, where did your journey go from there? Right. So I did um, start studying full-time studying. I didn't work. I, I just really devoted myself to studying for the licensing exams. And I did that for about two years. And it was quite difficult uh, to go from being a practicing physician and surgeon to really going back to square one because the licensing exams, you know, it's it goes back to basic sciences, things that we learn, you know, in, in first, second year of medical school, which for me was seven years ago at that time. So there was a big disconnect with, you know, practicing medicine and surgery and then trying to recall and Enzymes from the Krebs cycle and, and whatever minutiae is, is involved in the basic sciences uh, licensing exam. So I did struggle and I ended up uh, not passing by practically one question. It was three points. Um, so that really just made uh, it was a turning point in my life, in my career that decided, like, well, how long am I going to continue doing this? You know, I know I'm worth more, but I wasn't getting accepted for any jobs anywhere because on paper, I'm not a licensed physician in the United States. So it was a very dark moment for me mentally, personally, to come to terms with the fact that I just spent so much of my life, you know, in a, in a foreign land for me because I had grown up in the States. Um, learning all of these skills and now I can't utilize them because I'm like in a, in a professional deadlock. So now one question just kind of as a, a side, or I guess as a side note or not a side note, um, but you know, so you take the exam, you study for two years and then you're also done medical school for six years at this point. So you're eight years into that. Yeah. You know, how did you make the decision? You know, maybe it's an easy, I would assume it's a hard one. I could take the exam again. I could study for, I don't know how often they offer the exam, but you know, you could study for yeah. a bit more. You're that close one question away type of a thing. Hopefully yeah. study a bit more, you get a bit more prepared and then you pass and you can go be a doctor. What made yeah. you decide, you know, how did you weigh whether or not you retake the exam again or whether you go and try and do something else? I think it was just just born out of frustration. Like I just couldn't take it anymore, you know, not, you know, making any money because I wasn't working. Everyone just like rejection after rejection. Like it was really, really tough. And both situations were tough. I didn't want to go back to studying for two years and go through that mental hell and depression again. And I also didn't want to keep like badgering myself and reducing my self-worth applying to these companies where no one wanted to hire me. So it was just a decision that's born out of frustration. Like I need to do something else. That's not what I've been going through. So, so now you said, so you kind of come to the realization, okay, 
giving it my best go, so to speak. I'm not, you know, my, my expectations aren't matching up with them. You know, I'm not getting the opportunities I think that, you know, I was hoping for. And so, you know, kind of come to that conclusion, okay, I'm going to go in a different direction. Now, how did you kind of with that realization then figure out where are you going to go or what are you going to do next? Yeah, and, and, and health insurance isn't really something that people seek out. So it wasn't like I knew exactly what I'm going to do and where I'm going to, it just kind of like now, now looking back, it looks like the universe kind of just placed these, you know, invisible stepping stones in front of me, like go here, do this, and this connection is going to lead to this opportunity. So I suppose that's how it worked out. You know, I was in a time of my life where we we're thinking about starting a family and all that. So we decided to move down to Florida and I was exploring career options. And it's something that I just fell into health insurance. And, and the more I looked into it, the more I was doing it I was like wow this is really uh, working well because I, I'm working now specializing in medically underwritten policies which allows me to tie my my clinical skills my medical background into um, entrepreneurship and starting this business and in health insurance consulting where I really I can define my own self-worth and you know I don't I don't I can't blame anyone or point any fingers well you're not paying me what I'm worth or anything like that so it really became it just you know a natural decision so now you get into, you know, health insurance and say, okay, I've got, you know, the medical background, it matches up well, I can utilize, you know, all that I learned in school. So it's not a wash or it's not a waste, sure. so to speak, and also have the job opportunity. So you get into that. Now, was it a great experience and you thought the healthcare or health insurance was just perfect and there was nothing to change and it was just a, a match made in heaven or kind of, you know, once you make that pivot, you make that adjustment, how did that, uh, you know, that phase of the journey go as you get into the healthcare health insurance business? Yeah, it was an entirely new learning curve. It was learning an entire industry. So in, in my country where I went to medical school and training in Bangladesh, there is no health insurance. It's all pay for service. So the insurance itself was foreign to me. So I did have to learn an entirely new industry from scratch. So that was a challenge in itself. But hey, it was easier than med school. So I'll take it. So it, it wasn't as bad as that. So anything, I mean, after you've gone through med school in a third world country with with no internet and no electricity and no running water, everything is a cinch. So uh, the, the challenge was a mild one. I, I got over it within like, I don't know, a couple, a couple of months. Um, and the more I learned the industry, the more, you know, I was able to really offer a really unique perspective into this industry because I come from practicing medicine in the Eastern hemisphere where we don't have insurance into a country now where everything is about insurance and we have you know a capitalistic economy and key key private companies who have everything to do with how care is delivered and the health outcomes that come from it so um, it was a challenge but I really enjoyed bringing what I know to the table uh, and offering a unique perspective so and so now you offer that unique perspective and you say, OK, you know, you come up to speed, you offer the unique perspective. Then how did you kind of get into where you're at now, which is also you run, you know, Dr. Nora or norhealth.com and kind of what what spur, you know, spawned that or kind of how did you get into that aspect of things? Yeah, so now uh, my brand and what I do now is I work with a lot of entrepreneurs and self-employed professionals, anyone who really has to figure out health insurance on their own. Um, and I really just let them know what their best option is after assessing factors like income, stage in their business, their, a, a brief a health evaluation, a health survey. Um, so, so that's what I do now. And that's what my brand is all about is working with founders and helping them figure out what is their best choice for health insurance, where they're going to be least out of pocket it and of course offer the best health outcomes um, and really also kind of playing the system like once you understand systems you can really learn to take leverage of, of the situation that you're at to, to make that system work for you. 
So now you've so now just cluing people in just a bit. So if I were to go to Doctor Norhell, then that's Nor with two O's. Um, but you go to Doctor Norhell. Um, you know, kind of what services are they looking for, or what assistance would be the what would what would be the motivation for them to go check it out? Is it to get a better understanding of the healthcare system to get more specialized, you know, guidance and and, and thought, or is it you know, hey, something else? Or kind of what would be the motivation if they're to say, hey. Sounds like an interesting podcast episode. I'd like to learn a little bit more. What would they What would they go and or go there to find out? Yeah, you can. Um, when you go to check out the website, you'll learn a little bit more about me. And the main service that I offer there is really going to be free consultations for for picking the best health insurance plan. Hmm. Um, no. I don't charge anything at all for my service, even my medical services. I do are free. Yeah. Sorry, no, did you say anything? Yeah. Um, and really, I just, it, whatever health insurance plan you have, I would love to be the one to do an evaluation and say, hey, you, what you've got is amazing. Go ahead and keep it. Or I can kind of evaluate all your options for you and say, you know what, we can do better here. Given your income and situation, this is going to be a more lucrative or, or better health outcome health insurance plan for you. And I do that for free. And if I can help you get on a better plan, you just, you know, pay for the benefits you sign up for. That's it. So now, so they come to you, and I, I think that's a great, because I mean, first of all, health insurance is always are complicated. There's a lot of moving parts. You don't, you know, it seems like there's only, a, a, it feels like there's a one-size-fits-all when there really, it's really not a one-size-fits-all. Yeah. And so it definitely, there's a, you know, a place in the marketplace to help people understand what are their best options, what should they be considering, what should they not be considering, and how to navigate things. So now as you kind of, so you've got in the medical industry, you've also, you know, you've got your, the website, they can come get, they can get some guidance, they can get some advice, they can get some direction. So where do you kind of see things going in the next six to 12 months for you as you, as you continue to evolve? Yeah, so right now I'm definitely working on growing and scaling. I've got a wonderful team that takes care of my brand. So I'd really just love to increase my reach and, um, you know, talk to more people across the country. Um, I'm living in Florida right now, but I'm licensed to consult for health insurance in over 34 states. So my goal is really just to, to reach as many uh, female founders, small business owners and entrepreneurs as much as I can to let them know that, hey, you know, you're probably in the wrong plan or, you know, you're in the best spot possible, but let me help you kind of guide you through that your options for health insurance mm, no it definitely makes sense so so that kind of brings us up to a little bit of you know where you where you so to speak came from you know or how you, or how you got to at this point in your journey and a little bit where you're looking in the future so with that we'll kind of transition to the two questions i always ask at the end of each podcast so the first question i always ask is along your journey what was the worst business decision you ever made and what did you learn from it uh, worst business decision I ever made was not delegating soon enough. Um, I think as entrepreneurs, we find that, you know, a great sense of pride in uh, going from an idea and concept to actually a, a profit-making venture. Um, and it's really difficult to let go of, of control over every little process that goes into, a, you know, keeping that venture running and all the tra the wheels and cogs moving smoothly. Um, but I did not want to relinquish my control over every little cog because I created it from scratch. But as soon as I really just let go of that control and I, and I allowed a team to and gave them some responsibility over my brand, that's when I felt my, that I could really project out into a longer term vision uh, and things started to really pick up and I started to grow faster. No, and I think there's, you know, I think that's the dilemma that every entrepreneur, especially as you just dive into things and get going is, is I want to, 
you know, it takes almost a, a certain a type A personality. You know, I have to get, you know, I have to get a lot of things done. And I, I need it done right. I want, yeah, I think, you know, I think every entrepreneur, right or wrong, thinks that they can do it the best. Otherwise, they wouldn't uh, be going into being an entrepreneur. And so to then say, st take a st step back and say, okay, now I have to relinquish that control. I have to trust somebody else. And I don't know if they're going to do it as well or they're going to get it done right or anything else. It's just a scary moment. So I definitely understand, you know, kind of saying, hey, it's a lot of times you tend to, hold on to that, you know, control, so to speak, longer than you probably should because you want to make sure it gets done right and yet it can sometimes hold back the business because you're not, a, you're you're doing all the things that other people could be doing rather than focusing on the areas that really you're, you're the most expertise or can add the most value. Exactly, yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's hard, it's really hard. Um, but I find, I, I'm sure everybody will agree, like those who have done it, they'll find that that's really where you can spread your wings and, and, and fly because you've got a big weight taken off your shoulders now so you can do what you do best. Absolutely. So, so now we're going dive to dive into the second question, which is if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Don't give up, no matter how hard it gets and how many lows you have, just get back up, ignore everyone else and keep going. Do not give up ever, no matter what, don't give up. And I think that's good. It's simple advice and yet oftentimes it's, it's the most difficult to do and because you know you get into it, every I think every startup or every small business, you're gonna to get to a point where it gets hard and it's, it's going to be, you know, you want to give up. It's going to be, is this really worth it? Or do I really need to push through? I've invested time, money, or effort, and all this. Does it make sense? Or should I just go do something that's quote-unquote easier? And so, but I think it's the difference between whether you run a successful business or whether or not you don't, oftentimes is whether you give up. doesn't mean you keep doing necessarily the same thing you're doing. You may have to adjust and pivot and do different yeah. things. But it's that idea of not giving up and continuing to or forge, or forge ahead that makes that big difference. So... Well, as, uh, as we wrap up and as a reminder to the audience, we are going to do the bonus question. We'll talk a little bit about intellectual property. So if you are interested in that, definitely stay tuned to hear us chat a little bit about intellectual property and uh, uh, Nor's uh, our number one question. But uh, otherwise, if you're not interested, definitely understand sometimes intellectual property is interesting, other times it's not. Um, but if you, uh, as we wrap up the normal episode, uh, first, thanks for, again for coming on, Nora. It's been it's fun. It's been a pleasure. Now, for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. Two more things as a listener. One, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so everybody else can find out about all of our awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, trademarks, or anything else, feel free to go uh, grab some time with us to chat and go to strategymeeting.com. So now with that, we've wrapped up the normal episode. And this is always kind of a fun time for me because, you know, during the normal episode, I'm always asking the questions, but I never get to, you know, impart any of the things that I'm passionate about. And I don't want to take over any of the things that you guys are passionate about. But it's always kind of a, a switching uh, places a bit and getting to talk a little bit about intellectual property, which is what I love to talk about. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Norv, to ask your uh, number one intellectual property question. Yeah, and I'm actually going to be asking this question on behalf of my husband um, and his friends. He had this question before. So it was, I, I honestly can't even remember where we got this thing, Devin, but it was a soy sauce that was in these little packets that look like fish. 
Um, and the concept was, you know, when we, we tear a packet of soy sauce, it drips all over the place and it's, it's quite runny. So that thing was in a little, it comes out one drop at a time. It's a tiny little shape of a fish with a red cap. I don't know if anyone knows what I'm talking about. You take off the cap and you, it's, it's a drop, it drop, releases a drop at a time and you can put the cap back on. So wherever we, we found that or got that, my question is, it doesn't exist in the United States from what we've seen. If that's something, you know, we'd like to start up here and source, what's the first thing or what's the next step? Like, this is not something that we want to do any work for, just introduce this product into the United States. Yeah, and, and that's one that it, it comes up every so often You say, okay, I see something that's a great idea that's outside of the U.S. I think it's a great opportunity. I'd love to kind of bring in the U.S., expose it to a new market or a new, to a new culture. And so you do that. And, you know, I break it down into two questions. One is, is it a good business opportunity? And I, I don't know enough to give you enough of an answer in the sense that I don't know what the market is. I don't know how many people will buy it. I don't know what the price point is and all those. So I'd leave that as a separate question as to whether or not it's a good business opportunity. But diving into the intellectual property aspect. So the biggest problem you'll get into is whenever you file a patent, there's kind of two requirements. One is called novelty. One is called obviousness. Novelty is basically, has anybody else previously invented this? And obviousness is this an obvious combination of two or more things that are already out there. And so the first, the biggest problem you have on the patent side is if you're importing it, in other words, you're taking an idea that's in another culture already being done and just bringing it to the US, it's been invented before. In other words, you didn't invent it, so you're not able to get a patent around it. So that would be kind of the first thing you say, okay, probably doesn't have a path for now. If you modify it, if you make it better, you improve it, you adjust it, you say, I like the concept, the idea, but here are the three things that it doesn't do well, you solve those solutions, then you can go after a patent. But it will make for at least a or assumption of this conversation that no, it's going to be, hey, we're going to import it exactly how it is and start selling it. Then you probably can't get a patent or the protection around it. The only avenue you'd probably have is more with a trademark um, than a, if you're going to build a brand around it. In other words, you probably can't get it proprietary. Somebody else could do the same thing. They could also import it in, or into the USU. So now what is going to be the differentiator? Well, the same thing as the differentiator between, between Pepsi and Coke and the knockoffs. Not that a lot of times they don't taste very similar or the same, but one has a much bigger, better brand. They know that, hey, this is going to have the right quality. It's going to be the standards. It's going to work well. It's going to have the right taste I want. It's going to be consistent. And all of those are represented in the brand. And so probably if you're going to start as far as the avenue of protection, it would be more building a brand and a reputation around it as you bring it into the U.S. so you can protect that aspect of it and then or hit the market as quick as you can, as hard as you can, such that as you build that brand and that reputation that others trying to come along, you've already dominated the market or already consumed a large portion such that it makes it harder to, for other people to compete. Cool. Wow. Yeah, that's super helpful. Took a lot of notes so, there. There's a, there's your uh, intellectual property overview in a nutshell, and it's always a lot more to discuss, and we always have time to answer in one question. But if you or any of the viewers have any other questions about intellectual property, as I've already mentioned before, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time to chat. We can dive in deeper and make sure to get you taken care of. So thank you again, Nora, for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. And wish the next layer of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so much, Devin. Thank you for your time this evening. I really enjoyed talking to you. Absolutely.